Well, good morning. Wonderful to be with you all this month of July. My name is Seth McCormick. I have the honor of filling in here from time to time the last five years. Uh, Pastor Bob's wife, Julie, and I worked together uh, with hospice. So, so glad to be here and uh, excited to be preaching through the book of Jonah uh, for this month of July. Uh, as you may know, I'm a chaplain over at Curley and Roanoke Memorial Hospital, and this past week was telling a nurse that I'm starting a, a series on the book of Jonah, and she said, oh, hmm, Jonah, isn't that the story of the guy that gets swallowed by the big fish? I said, yes, it is, uh, but there's so much more than just the, the fish story. Uh, so we're going to look at that uh, more than a fish story today, chapter one only, but uh, each week we'll take a Uh, each subsequent chapter. Um, But this morning, I want to do something a little different. I want to read all four chapters for us. It's only 48 verses. I timed it out. It's a little over six minutes, so uh, we won't—you won't suffer. Uh, But this is the reading of God's holy, inerrant, inspired, trustworthy word. And I'll be reading from the, the ESV. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying— Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, 
and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days! And Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them. And he did not do it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said? When I was yet in my country? 
That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, pr- let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. May your word be our rule. May your spirit be our teacher. God, may your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, the first scripture passage that I had Ed read in 2 Kings helped us to see that Jonah was already serving as a prophet for the Lord. And Jonah already had an audience with King Jeroboam II, where he was able to share words of hope an undeserved grace with a king, despite the king being a a horrible, evil king. As Ian Duguid put it, Jonah gave to King Jeroboam a surprising message of compassion and deliverance. But when God asked Jonah to then deliver a similar message of undeserved grace, this time to their archenemies, the Assyrians, Jonah says, No way. Not going. Not happening. Think about it. If you were a Jew, how would you feel bringing a message like this to Adolf Hitler? Or if you were a Ukrainian soldier, how would it feel to take a message like this to Vladimir Putin? How would you feel sharing a message of grace to a boss that you despise or a neighbor who's atrociously annoying. Kids, how would you feel sharing a message like this to the popular kid or the bully 
on the bus. This was an incredibly difficult assignment that God gave to Jonah. But before we get too far into the story, I want to look at the five W's for this passage. Six months, a year ago, maybe I preached here and talked about the five W's. Who, what, where, when, and why. So who? Who is involved in this book of Jonah? We meet a a sovereign God who loves even sinful nations like Assyria. And we meet a puny prophet named Jonah. A puny prophet that God uses for his own purposes. So that's who, what. The book of Jonah is a contrast. What we see happening is, uh, as one commentator put it, God is contrasting Jonah's hatred for his enemies with God's love for his people, for the Gentiles. So Jonah's hatred, God's compassion. That's the what. Where? Well, interestingly enough, another reason I had Ed read that passage from 2 Kings, we learn that Jonah is uh, from a small town in Galilee, about three miles from Jesus' hometown in Nazareth. So Jesus and Jonah were both prophets from Galilee. The book of Jonah starts in Jonah's home nation, the northern kingdom of Israel. He eventually goes down to Joppa and the coast, hops on a boat, heads out to the Mediterranean Sea where he gets swallowed by the fish. Eventually he ends up obeying God in Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, in what's today modern-day Mosul, Iraq. So who, what, where, when? From archaeology, historical records, we know that King Jeroboam II reigned from 793 to 753 B.C., And at about that same time, the king of Assyria, there were multiple weak kings. And scholars think because they were so weak, they would have been open to a message like Jonah's. And so finally, why? Why was the book of Jonah written? Well, in my humble opinion, it's to highlight God's sovereign love and desire to see all people come to know him. For it's in this book that we see God's sovereignty not only over world powers, but also over nature itself. We get a great view of God's mercy, of his incredible patience with sinful human beings. And ultimately, the book points forward to Christ. For in Jonah, we see Christ. So God is sovereign, and he uses a puny prophet— to carry out his mission. Now, I'm calling Jonah puny because it's an acronym that I made. Puny stands for a prodigal who's uncaring, he's nonchalant, but he's yielding. Jonah is puny. He's a prodigal. We'll see this in verses 1 through 3. He's uncaring. We'll see that in verses 4 through 6. He's nonchalant. We'll see in verses 7 through 10. And he's yielding, verses 11 through through 17. So if you close your Bible, I'd encourage you to, to open back up. Because we're going to see that Jonah was a prodigal in verses 1 through 3. Now what do I mean by this? Well, as Miss Smith was telling us, Jonah fled. He ran away. 
He was a prodigal. He fleed God's, he fled God's mission. But why? He fled because Assyria was a horrible nation. They were the world power at Jonah's time. They were, as one commentator called it, a a terrorist state. They did such horrible things to the people that they conquered that I didn't even feel comfortable talking about some of the things they did, knowing the young ears that are in the congregation today. Assyria was the dictionary definition of evil. And God is telling Jonah, go and proclaim this message to them. And so God's concerned with the Assyrians as a people. He's concerned about them as a nation. He knows their evil ways, and yet he wants to extend compassion to them. He wants to give them a chance to repent, to turn from their sin, to acknowledge their need of the one true God. God's compassion is on display in verse 2. When he gives Jonah this command, arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it. God cares enough about these Gentiles that he wants to send a prophet to the people there in Nineveh. God's love is wide for these Gentile sinners, and yet we see Jonah's love is very narrow because Jonah only wants to love the Israelites, his own nation. He doesn't want a wide love to include these Gentile Assyrians. He wants love to be narrow. And when I think about our lives, I think, aren't we like Jonah? Don't we oftentimes have a very narrow love instead of a wide love like the Lord? What's our attitude towards the immigrants coming up from the southern border? What's our attitude towards the the refugees from Afghanistan, from Africa, here in Roanoke? A narrow, a narrow view of God's love results in racism and discrimination. But yet we see God's love being wide. God so loved the world, John 3.16 says, that he gave his only son, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Christ. But Jonah wants no part of it. Jonah wants that narrow view. He wants no part of God's plan. He doesn't want God to forgive. And so he gets angry. One of the reasons I wanted to read all four chapters is I wanted you to see right up front his angry. He knew from the very moment God gave him this command that God was going to forgive the Ninevites. And Jonah did not want that. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was displeased, exceedingly angry, and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Jonah's theology was he knew God would forgive. And Jonah didn't want that. Jonah wanted that narrow love. So Jonah becomes a prodigal. He flees to Tarshish. He goes down to Joppa, south 
of modern-day Tel Aviv on the Mediterranean coast. Ian Duguid, an Old Testament commentator, has a beautiful way of expressing this journey that Jonah went on as a prodigal. Duguid said, quote, Jonah's example shows that when we run from God, we go downward and inward. Jonah went from the mountains of Israel down to the coast to Joppa, then down to the inner part of the ship. And finally, he went down into the depths of the sea. His physical movements parallel his spiritual journey away from the Lord. Moreover, Dugid says, his journey is inward, away from people as well as from God. He cuts himself off from his home and family. And even on board the ship, he isolated himself from others and their needs. End quote. So my question for us today is, are we going downward? Are we going inward? Are we staring into our navels? Or is our view, our eyes up on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith? So two times we see in verse 3, Jonah is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. And he wants to go to Tarshish. Why Tarshish? Well, scholars think Tarshish was in Spain. Nineveh is east in Iraq. So Jonah is trying to get as far away as he can from where the Lord wants him to go. Reminds me of the prodigal son that we heard about in Luke 15. He wanted to run away from his father. So in reality, while Jonah had a problem with the the Ninevites, his real problem was a problem with a sovereign God. He knew Jonah had a set of rules, and he knew God was not going to play by his rules. He knew God was sovereign. He knew God was going to do what he wanted to do. Yet Jonah felt like the Assyrians should have hellfire and brimstone brought down on them. That's what Jonah wanted. But God sought their repentance. Don't we turn our backs on God? Don't we want God to act a certain way according to our desires, according to our will? We don't want God to forgive our enemies. Like Jonah, we also become puny. We also become the prodigal and run away. So this morning, instead, let's come back to the sovereign Lord. Let's come back to him. Seek him in prayer. Press into God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Allow God to be God, because we are not. God and his sovereignty will work things out. We may not see it now. We may not see it this side of heaven. But God is sovereign. He has a plan. May God turn our Jonah story around. And may the Holy Spirit draw us, the prodigals, back to him. So Jonah was puny. He was a prodigal, but he was also uncaring. Look at verses 4 through 6, where we see the uncaring Jonah in the midst of the storm. 
Verse 4 reads that the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. That Hebrew word, the Lord hurled, is the same word that Saul, when he hurled a spear at King David in 1 Samuel 18. So God is hurling this storm towards Jonah and the ship with great force. And so we see that this covenant God, Yahweh, is is sovereign over creation, over the storm, over the wind of the waves. The narrator says that it was a great wind. The late Tim Keller pointed out that this great wind is the same word that God used to describe this great city of Nineveh. And Keller said, if Jonah refuses to go into a great city, then he's going to go into a great storm. So Jonah refuses to go. And the storm comes up, and in verse 5, we see there's complete pandemonium. The mariners are afraid. They're crying out to God. They're praying to any God who might listen. They're throwing the cargo over the ship. But Jonah is puny. For where is Jonah? He's asleep down in the safety of the ship. He's uncaring. His God, he declares, is the God of heaven, the God of the sea and the land, and yet he's sleeping. He doesn't care. How different Jonah is from Jesus. Think of Matthew 4, or sorry, Mark 4, 35 to 41, where Jesus was asleep in the ship with the disciples. And a great storm comes up. And the disciples wake him up. And Jesus doesn't merely just pray to the Lord. Jesus, being the Lord, is sovereign over the storm and the winds, and he stops the storm himself. Jesus is God. Jesus shows his sovereignty over all the creation. And what do the disciples do? Their minds are blown. Who is this, they ask, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the disciples recognize Jesus is sovereign and that he cares. Jonah, in his uncaring state, ran away from those who needed God most. But Jesus runs to the fight and comes to their rescue. Jesus is the sovereign God who calmed the storm. So Jonah was puny. He was uncaring. And he's also nonchalant. Look at verses 7 through 10. Jonah was nonchalant. The, The mariners, they are in complete disarray. They're coming apart at the seams. The ship, they are afraid, is going to break apart. They're doing everything they can to try and calm the storm. But Jonah's in no rush. He's asleep. The captain has to wake him up. He has no concern for the common good of the sailors. And yet we see how these non-believers react and respond, and it's such a, such a human response. 
They want to find out, well, who can we blame? Whose fault is this? Who do we turn this on? Who do we pin this on? They want to blame, so they cast lots, and the lots goes to Jonah. And then it turns into an inquisition. They rapid-fire questions at Jonah. Who are you? Whose are you? Their goal is to figure out what God have you angered, Jonah, so that we can pray to them and calm things down, appease the God. And Jonah responds. They ask, of the five questions they ask him, the last question is, what is your race? They ask, of what people are you? But Jonah answers first with his race. He says, I am a Hebrew. Right there we see Jonah's priority. His his priority was his race over everything else. His race is more important than his relationship with God. So Jonah is nonchalant. But Jesus is anything but nonchalant. Matthew 4, 14 through 17, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. He said, the land, Jesus said, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people walk, dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Jonah was nonchalant. He didn't care about the sailors on the boat. Jesus went to the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus went to the tax collectors, the zealots. Jesus went to the blind, the lame, the demon-possessed. He went to the outsiders, even the women, the Samaritan women at the well. Jesus was anything but nonchalant. He was proactive after the lost. So Jonah is a prodigal. He's uncaring. He's nonchalant. And finally, he was a good thing. He was yielding as we see in verses 11 through 17. The sailors realize Jonah is the problem child. They realize that Jonah is not only the problem, but he's also the solution. And Jonah admits that he's the problem. In verse 12, he says, For I know, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So Jonah yields himself. Jonah wants to be the solution to the problem. But understandably, the sailors, they don't like this idea. They don't want to willingly throw someone to their death into the storm, into the raging waters. It's a death sentence. So the sailors do what they know to do and Again, such a human response. What do they try to do? Let's row back to shore. I don't want to throw Jonah in, so let's row back to shore. But that gets them nowhere. Verse 13 reads, But they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So in verse 14, the sailors, they've 
They acknowledge the gravity, the situation. They acknowledge that they are now interacting with and praying to the sovereign God, the covenant God, the creator God, Yahweh himself. They pray a prayer of desperation. They ask for forgiveness for this seeming murder. They recognize that it's the Lord who is sovereign over the sea. And only this God can calm the storm. So Jonah yields. Jonah is a type of Christ. As one commentator put it, Jonah is saying, I will fully take the wrath of the sea so that you won't have to. Jonah gave himself up to be a sacrifice for the sailors, for the ship. And how much more does Jesus do that for us on the cross of Golgotha? Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus yielded his life for us, for me. The anger of the storm went on Jonah. And the paralleled wrath of God went on Jesus. To use a 50-cent theological word, Jesus' sacrifice is the propitiation for our sins. God put forward Jesus to turn away God's wrath, to propitiate, propitiate God's wrath. And here Jonah is a propitiation for the, the mariners, for the ship. Jonah yielded his life to turn away the wrath of the storm and they brought, and it brought peace. And likewise, Jesus' death on the cross turns away God's righteous wrath for the just judgment of our sin. Pastor Kent Hughes put it this way, Christ, our perfect priestly propitiator, saved us in a way that kept God's holiness intact. What love this perfect priest had for the storm-tossed church. What perfect priest, what love this perfect priest had for the storm-tossed church. So Jonah may have been puny. He may have been a prodigal. He may have been uncaring. He may have been nonchalant. But he yielded his life to save those sailors. And so what we see in this first chapter of Jonah is the good news that the Lord is in charge. The Lord is sovereign over all. He's in charge even when we try to run away from him. When Jonah ran away, the Lord provided a boat. The Lord who made the sea, he provided the storm to get Jonah's attention. Jonah couldn't even kill himself without the Lord at work. He needed God's permission. And yet even in this rebellion, the Lord saves him. And he experiences, and the sailors experience, the power of God. The reality is, folks, we can't outrun the Lord. We can't outwit him. Psalm 139 beautifully says, You know when I sit down and when I rise up, 
You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before me. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Your right hand shall hold me. If you find yourself today like Jonah, trying to be a prodigal, trying to run away, please come home. You can't outrun. You can't outmaneuver. You can't outwit. You certainly can't outsmart, and you cannot outlast the Lord. He is the ultimate Savior. Like the father in the story of the prodigal son, the Lord is waiting to greet you, to meet you, to embrace you with open arms. The Lord wants to welcome you into a peaceful safe harbor in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.